bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other Hello and welcome to episode 144 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja, and this podcast is becoming quite a mixed bag. (laughs) It is where I share people's overwhelming, incredible recovery stories after making the switch to a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet most of the time, but it is morphing and changing as I morph and change and grow and learn. And as I say often, this the overarching theme of this podcast is hope and hope stories. And in hope stories for me, they are about self-discovery and of transformation and inner in inner transformation that ripples out and touches so many areas of that individual's life. If you scroll back through this podcast, you'll find story after story where it wasn't that the people just, you know, they made a change and made this change to their diet and, you know, they had a health transformation. They had a mental, spiritual, physical, emotional change. You know, they made so many changes that led to an outer and inner transformation. And I love sharing stories like this, hope stories. It's just my passion, especially now with all that's going on in the world. When I use the word hope, I don't mean, I don't mean a wish. I mean a, or I don't mean a wish alone. I mean a wish followed by meaningful, informed action. And, and that, that transforms a wish, that meaningful, informed action, transforms a wish into a tangible goal, into a thing that you're, you are taking active steps towards achieving and not just a hope that you put out into the ether and and never look at again and never and never call to you and co-create for me hope is a story that inspires and ignites that flame within that inspires action if that makes sense i hope that it does but the action has to be from you, from within, and it can look like so many different things. So there is no real one way to get that fire triggered. And what I love about this week's guest, Julie Tenner, whose website is The Pleasure Nutritionist, is that when we talk about diet on this show, you know, we know that diet is responsible for up to 80% of our immune function as it impacts on our gut microbiome. However, that 20% is still so important, you know, with our mindset and with our so many other areas of our lives that may, for so many different reasons, be out of balance and out of alignment with our values. And this week, Julie Tenner 
she has she has gonna, is going to share her story, which is really moving and beautiful and painful and sorrow filled, but also, yeah, so important to to hear and to to learn from. Julie is a facilitator. I lo- look, it's it's fascinating because I just wanted to be best friends with Julie immediately, like I do with all of my guests. I'm look, as I've mentioned, I'm a wet Labrador. I get very easily excited by beautiful people, and every single guest that's come on this show has been a beautiful person. And Julie is just great, and we have so many things that we value that are in alignment. So, so she is a women's circle facilitator, which. I am also, and she is a doula, which I would love to be. I would love to go to support, to be able to support women through the birthing process and on the other side and to attend. I've I've attended one home birth before of a lovely, lovely friend of mine. And it was just so incredible to be able to attend a beautiful home birth. I've had two, but it's different being in the position of as the birthing mother rather than as the witness to the birthing mother and the support to the birthing mother. So it was just incredible. Um, so I would love that. So Julie Tanner is a naturopath, a doula, and she's also a women's circle facilitator and she's also a podcast host and she has a podcast called Nourishing the Mother, which I highly recommend you checking out. So and she also has an online course called Nourishing the Mother as well, which you can do with her, which is incredible. She wears so many different hats. She is an author. She's a mothering mentor. She's co-founder of Nourishing the Mother, the podcast. Oh, my gosh. She is a captivating storyteller and she brings heart and charisma to her work. And, oh, my gosh, she's just wonderful. And I know that you're going to really enjoy listening to her in this episode. So Julie is passionate about women, body connection, parenting, has expertise on health and well-being, but she combines it with spiritual underpinnings, which is what I really, really love about the work that she is doing. In this episode, we're just going on a tangential conversation talk, but she's also sharing her own story of how she how she got to this place as the host of Nourishing the Mother and as the pleasure nutritionist. And yeah, she has online membership in her program, Nourishing the Mother. And she has Queen School, which is also super exciting. And she also does con- conscious couples and conscious sexuality programs. So I think those three, part of the 20% that's missing a lot can be joy and playfulness. Brene Brown talks about in her research, finding wholehearted people, so happy, well-adjusted, awesome people, finding those wholehearted people, one of the key factors in wholeheartedness was play and playfulness. And Julie ties that in so beautifully in her work as the pleasure nutritionist, you know, adding in more pleasure, more in deep feminine embodiment and masculine embodiment and yeah, I love your work, Julie. I'm ram I'm rambling um, with love because I'm looking at all of your work as I'm recording this. And you can follow Julie at Instagram at the Pleasure Nutritionist. I'll put the links in the show notes. You can follow her on Facebook at Julie Tenner, the Pleasure Nutritionist. 
You can listen to her podcast at nourishingthemothercourse.com and you can find her at thepleasurenutritionist.com. So I will put all those links in the show notes for you. Otherwise, we are just listening to Julie's story and this week and and learning a little bit more about the work that she does to support women. And, and if you're not a woman, this might be helpful just for you to listen in case you want to, you know, better, better love your women in your lives. Um, I'm certain that it will help. And following Julie's Instagram and Facebook, like her live videos are so, so moving. And, oh, my God, her Instagram is so beautiful. I don't even know how she does it. It's gorgeous. Check it out. And otherwise, please enjoy this week's episode. Hello, Julie, and welcome to the show. Hi, Corinne. How are you? I'm good. The kids are out of the house and it feels quiet briefly. How are you going with it all? Because you've got four babies. How old are your babies? Yes, I have four babies. My eldest baby is 14 and my youngest baby is two. So they are all home, but it's my happy place. There's nothing that delights my little heart more than everybody in close. It is my delicious space. So I'm kind of nervous about coming out of COVID (laughs) because outside of that, we're epically busy. So this feels like a really beautiful pause of consciousness and connection for me. So Mm. I um, was talking to Rose and I don't think I've mentioned this in the intro, but my friend Rose is, hi Rose, if you're listening. I'm going to say hello, beautiful Rose. I love you. (laughs) I love you too. So Rose is how I mentioned that I should get you on the show because she loves you and you're her doula. And Mm -hmm. we were both talking yesterday and the day before about the same thing that, and I I always feel a bit hesitant to say because so many families are struggling so much in this time. Yeah. And my own is struck. My own family is struggling also, but it's, I always call it 50, 50, like 50% of it for me, like with the, my jobs kind of vanishing, my, my income kind of vanishing is 50% horrendous. But then the 50% of that connected time with my kids and that slowing down is so amazing. So it's very much the yin and the yang and the, the, there's so much polarity in it if that makes sense. There is. No, there is. I mean, I think that's the construct of the universe. We're constructed on polarity, the law of opposites, right? So it's there's an e- always an equal amount of challenge or support. It's just that we usually only focus on one. Yeah, so true. So, yeah, I feel the same, well, similar as it. I'm, obviously, I'm glad that they're not at home right now when I'm doing the podcast, but I'm loving just getting to be slow with them. Yeah, and not it is delicious. I know it's so not nice. all the things. I know not all the things, and time just stops being a thing. I've really enjoyed that. That's been amazing. So good. I agree. Uh, so you've already told me your story when, before we pressed record, but I find your story really fascinating, and I'd love it if you could kind of because it's such the flip of mine as we mentioned, and yeah, and in that I find that very awesome and interesting and yeah you're like me I'm like ooh, tell me about the 
opposite of what I think is true. Yeah, that's yeah. like me too. I'm like, yes, just tell me. It opens up my world. Yeah. 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 So I find it fascinating. And as I was saying to Julie when I invited you on the show, when I talk about, because I talk about obviously my my journey is a plant-based journey and many of the guests on the show um, and the doctors and experts are talking about a plant-based journey, but that has helped them and played a massive role in them reversing their chronic disease. But there's that big gap where it's not just that that works. There's so many different pieces to every individual and unique puzzle and story and journey and fingerprint. And those things are really valuable and enriching. So that's why I was really excited to have you because you do work that, you know, I think is so important insofar as when women feel less than, which our society tells us from the moment we are born pretty much that we are less than around, around the world, it's so obviously so harmful to our psychology and to our being. And then the shame that we get dumped on for the media and through everything and through, about our bodies and if our bodies aren't this perfect prepubescent but somehow magically with breasts and a booty <laughs> but no body hair and no marks and no scarring and a tiny waist that we look a certain way when we don't look a certain way, we're shamed for looking that way. And I just don't believe that you can carry all that shame and simultaneously be healthy within yourself and make the healthy choices when you're doing that from a place of lack and loss and grief and sadness and shame and guilt just for being existing in a female body. So that's why I was very, very happy to invite you on the show. But your story is also really awesome. So we're going to hear a bit of both. Yeah, it speaks to my heart what you were talking about. I'm like, yeah, oh, there's so much. That's Pandora's box, just those words you said. There's just there's so much for us to unpack individually as well as collectively in that very story. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So for everyone, I just want to give, because I've mentioned in the intro that you are in naturopath yes I know it's confusing because I call myself the pleasure nutritionist so part of my naturopathy is that I'm a herbalist and nutritionist and then a naturopath so the pleasure nutritionist was just a moment of, of I'm going to call it downloaded opening where I went the pleasure nutritionist and I went holy moly I think that's what I am because I could never find the box that I fitted in this world of naturopathy so that's how we'll talk about that. But, you know, I get that's confusing, the pleasure nutritionist, but I'm a naturopath. That's the, the yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay. So can you please tell us how your life led to where you are now? Like what, how did you become the pleasure nutritionist? Yeah. So when you said that, I was like, I was going to start with this beautiful list of labels. And then I'm like, those labels don't mean anything unless I give you the context behind them. And so that's why I said to you, Hang on a minute, I've just got to take you back before I can take you forwards. So my, my story, I realise the older that I get, is significantly different to, as I think all of ours are, I think we have a very particular upbringing that is specifically designed for us to have the revelations that we need to have to be of a bigger service in this world. It's a particular pinpoint of consciousness that we're designed to be, heal, you know, do our work in the world. So... I am the daughter of a 1960s hippie yogi, very staunch yogi. So I grew up with a very spiritualist, um, Buddhist, non-attachment, um, 
underpinning philosophy in my home. A father who got up at 5am every morning to do a solid one to two hours of yoga, a father who taught me breath work, a father who taught me energy movement, a father who would run with me as much as he would show me how to create, you know, a breakfast out of brewer's yeast and nuts and seeds and, you know, (laughs) pot set yogurt and kombucha and, you know, all of this stuff that now we think is super rad and retro and I'm like, wow, I've been doing that my whole life. So it was a significantly different upbringing. So this man, just to paint a picture, was full of light, incredibly charismatic, just the person that you would say illuminates from the inside out, excessively healthy, very strict on what he put in his body until he wasn't and he had a massive sugar tooth. So I think that that's interesting and possibly something we could talk about later. So anyway, this man who also had a wounded history with his parents, so this is important because in our body our organs carry certain emotions or disease states. That's more of a Chinese medicine kind of philosophy. So he carried a lot of, um, I can see in his story, grief, around not being able to or believing that he's not able to live and be the fullness of who he is in this world because he will not be a provider. And so back in that time, of course, you know, he was quite feminine in his, very musical, very effeminate in his, you know, movements and ways of being, very, very artistic but he had to almost box all of that away in order to be the provider. So he trained to be an electrician. But there was, I could always see this dichotomy in his, like almost a split where he had given up a piece of his soul in order to do this work that he believed he had to do. That's just such an incredible, he's a yogi, electrician yogi. <laughs> like it's just... Yeah, right? Yeah. So in the end, his career is what kills him, which I think is fascinating because his career is so wound up in the story with his own father and his own masculine and, you know, wounded feminine stories. So he gets a form of cancer called asbestos, which is, uh, sorry, mesothelioma, which is caused by asbestos. So while he's been a sparky, he's inhaled asbestos, the asbestos has gone to his lungs and created a tumour or multiple tumours. Now, because he was such a good yogi, his disease had progressed a significant amount before it even registered as something that was slightly unusual because usually what happens is the lungs fill with fluid so much that you lose shortness of breath and that's usually one of the first signs I can't breathe. His lung capacity from so many years of breath um, practice was so enormous that even though they were three quarters full of fluid, his breath scale was off the chart of what they could um you know, register. So, but consequently, this disease wasn't picked up. So the lungs are where we hold our grief. So he had lung cancer. So ultimately this man, and back then we're talking like 25 years ago now. So it was significant. Like nobody survived this cancer. The death rate was within three to six months. You were gone from diagnosis point. Like it was aggressive and it was significant. There were no survivors from this cancer. So, The mainstream path is, of course, chemotherapy and um, potentially operations if that's, you know, a feasibility. And that was seen as the only thing that could buy you time. So in the meantime, he's also trained to be a naturopath. So he's making this career shift. So 
this man very, very radically back then says, I will not do the mainstream. I will not do any of it. And goes on a completely alternative journey with his cancer. So ultimately he does die. By the time I'm 19, he's passed away. So how long did he have the cancer for? Yeah, four years. So this man who was given a three to six month life expectancy lived four years and it was really only the last six months where his quality of life was diminished, really. When you consider what chemotherapy, the alternative of quality of life, would have offered him, it's significant. But it was radical. Back then it was radical. So... um the beauty of all of that was that because I was um, finishing high school at that time and was then looking at training to become a naturopath, he took me very much on that healing journey with him. So I went to every consultation. I was involved in all of the journeys and we did everything. You know, we were in the underworld of, of um, cancer therapy and alternative importations for cancer therapy. Like back then it was way more underground than what it is now. So I had just the most incredible education before I even had, in inverted commas, the university education. So during that, then I um, he passes away and I trained to be a naturopath, which takes me five years. And um, I graduate from that and think, well, I have such a rich understanding of cancer, so I might move into, you can't treat cancer, but I will treat people who are experiencing cancer. But what happened is that because I think I was so still wounded and unhealed from the loss of my own father, every man, every man walked into my practice, looked like him. I was like, this is brutal. (laughs) It was so brutal for my heart that I just in the end went, I can't do this. I can't do this right now. My healings, you can't be a wounded healer. You can't heal anyone if you're living in your own wounds. It's really interesting. When I was studying social work, I they gave me the placement, teach you, they ask you what placements you want, what opportun- what, what things you want to, where do you want to go? And I said, look, I only think I, like this was like two years after my brother died, after my brother died, and I, I said, look, oh, I'm happy to do anything, but I just don't want to work in disability or palliative care because I don't think that I can cope with any of it because I've just lived it my whole life and it's awful. And of course they put me in disability and palliative care for yeah. both cases. I'm like, ah. it was just yeah. so hard. So if a family is having to make that decision to put their family member oh, yeah. into palliative care and that they can't go home and all the heartbreak and so I, it's interesting what the universe gives you when you're like, I actually can't yeah. cope with that. And, and then they're like, yeah. well, now you're going to cope with it again and again and again. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, like heal it, heal mm, this, heal you this. know. Mm. But I don't think you can be an effective practitioner in that space. Once you've healed yourself, I think it makes you phenomenal. Mm. But unhealed wounds, yeah. all it becomes is a projection, yeah. as you would know as a exactly. social worker. Like so I, haven't, I, I didn't do that for a while because I knew I was, I was not healed. I was it's exactly the same journey. Devastated. Yeah. Yeah. So I went, no, I can't do that. And so I remember sitting down and thinking, right, so end of life isn't for me. What is for me then? And I was like, the start of life. All right. So 
I kind of took a hiatus from practice and went and found the mentors and the experts because back then they weren't really, it, it simply isn't, the world was not as it is now. So I found the mentors and the um, um, trainings that I could have for um, preconceptive care, pregnancy care and paediatrics. And it was the paediatrics that I absolutely loved. So the nutrition and naturopathic care for children like lit my heart on fire and I had the most amazing mentor. She was absolutely phenomenal and I would just sit in practice with her and I loved it. So I opened a practice for children's care, which was amazing. Um, and then I had my own children and it was through the experience of that that I came back to the spiritual component. So the birth of my first child was an enormously spiritual opening for me. And I think I disregarded a lot of those spiritual teachings from my childhood. I'd kind of tucked them away because as you, uh, well, I'm assuming as you know, in naturopathy and the way that and it's worse now, but even back then it was so much of the healing lineage of what natural healers have come from and all of the spirituality and the components of working with universe and soul, it's not testable and it's not government funded. So it gets eliminated from the training. So it's very much clinical trials and, um, you know, science backed up protocols and, um, you know, we say it's not mechanistic, but I, I wonder how holistic it actually is. Yes, more than mainstream medicine, but still I think it's deeply flawed when we don't have those roots of where we came from. But because of that training and because it had become my world, I had morphed into that as well and kind of was having my own spiritual experiences outside of that realm, but certainly wasn't bringing them into um, my healing work. So the birth of my first child was incredible. It felt like just a total blow open of my entire top chakra as my head. I remember just feeling like I had disappeared into, you know, unknown universes that, um, I was like, Whoa, this is like ecstatic. And it was that, that then led me on a path of conscious parenting and, um, coming back into, I suppose, tantrically what those spaces were that I'd gone to. So I'm doing that work in the background, raising my first. I have my second 18 months later and her birth is even more ecstatic than my first birth. And it was such, such a profound and incredible experience. I was like, oh, my God, I can't leave birth. This is like... And I had all of my beautiful friends. I'd been in a couple of friends' births because of that. And they were like, you were amazing. I couldn't have done this with it. You have to go and do this in the world. And I was like, no, I don't think so. Anyway, listen to your girlfriends because they sometimes often know you better than you know yourself. So it was then that I found Rhea Dempsey. So I went and sat in circle with Rhea for a year and trained with her to become a doula which was just phenomenal because for me, I'd been in women's circles since I was like 15. So, and loads of spiritual places out like in my own, in a very common private life. So sitting in a circle with this matriarch of women's work in Australia, oh my God, it was just like, I felt so initiated and nourished 
and in a way completed in this sense of women's work that I'd never quite pulled it all together. And it was after completing her training, I was like, I get it. I get my purpose right in this moment. And so that's when I then combined my naturopathic work with my spiritual and emotional counselling work, which is largely what my practice had become anyway. And with the doula work, so I then kind of mushed all of that together and worked with couples through their own pregnancy journey and then was with them at the birth of their children. So I did that for seven years and that was just extraordinary, like just magnificent. You're making me want to have a baby. I, learned... <laughs> I don't want any more babies, but you're making me want to have a baby so you can be my doula. <laughs> Yeah. It was just phenomenal. And I just think, what can't you learn about life and spirituality? Like, like I was about to be really rude then, but I was about to say, if the temple, this woman's body is the place to pray at, like, what can't you learn as she's literally opened in all of the ways and taken through her own rite of passage. What what is not to be learned here? Everything, everything. You can see everything of the world and the universe through the experience of life. There's two things that you're making me think of. One is it's very fascinating. I think it may, may have been prior to pressing record, but talking about your dad being in this very masculine world and then you moving like completely into this feminine space which is just I just love how yeah. the world unfolds and part it's of so them. magnificent it's so fascinating yeah. to think of the two contrasts that make up a, a really cohesive kind of story when they're when they're combined which is really really lovely 100 it's really lovely yeah it's completely my journey. I often think the reason why um, I had so many wounded body stories and so many difficulties with food and my feminine form and sexuality and why I myself had to go on my own healing journeys to explain all of those have become ultimately what I've taught. But I only went on those journeys because my family of origin ultimately was the breeding ground for the pain that I sought to heal later, which then becomes my craft. Like it's so perfect. So I had this beautiful yogi who for always has been magnificent, but in equal measure was also deeply wounding and painful for me because yogically (laughs) is a very, the way that it is taught and has been handed down, same as any of our spiritualist um, experiences now, are handed down through the line of men. It's a masculine teaching handed through a lineage of what works best for a masculine core being, not what works best or... um, experiences like for the for for buddha himself the very definition of suffering was desire but the very definition of enlightenment for a feminine is desire so you know everything about me and my poor father often think oh it's so perfect because here is him you know being skinny is very altruistic and humble because there's no fat and you know had all of these stories around money and humility and altruism and um you know the sexuality was immensely you know like distracting and and shut down ultimately in in the representation of my very full feminine form in front of him growing as his daughter and there was so many you know um nuanced difficulties and then stories that I took on 
about what that meant about me as a being and woman. So, yeah, I don't, I just, I can see how perfect that is to then become the woman who works with the feminine because I grew up knowing the masculine. Yeah, it's fascinating. And birth, birth is such a, I, in my next million lives, I need to fit, I have so many lives I want to fit into this one. It's very tricky because doula is on my list because I love birth so much. And I've been lucky to attend one of a friend of mine. But for me, it was interesting when you said about when I had Theo, I had two home births. And when I had Theo, when he came out, we only wanted two. I wanted four initially and then I went down to, to two. Just for me I, and my husband, it's the amount that we we think we can parent without yeah, yeah. Without losing our marbles to the to the giving and loving experience. So when I had Theo, we both of us, we had such an incredible ecstatic birth as well. The Iggy, Iggy's was amazing, but I was still caught up trying to have a baby in my head with the yeah, things yeah. I'd learned in my head and not in my soul and in my body and with my... And with Iggy, I was so busy thinking, I know everything about birth with my with my brain, <laughs> yeah, but not really about it in my, in my body. And then with Theo, I did lots of work to get into my body and, you know, healing work and all these things and breath work. And it was so good. And my husband and I both said, like, if only we could do this every single day without millions of babies. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's kind of addictive, isn't so it? Addictive. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I know. I know. That's a good thing with being a doula is you do get to live vicariously through that experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, going to my friends, I was like, this is so beautiful. And she said, oh, you so know, how profound. can it be beautiful? I'm like, it's so beautiful. And I don't have to have the baby afterwards or the sleepless nights. I just get to be present in this mad, like you say, like you're witnessing this woman opening. It's magic. And yeah. It's just, and and they go, they're transcending everything. It's amazing. Yeah, it totally is amazing. Mind-blowing. And it's so sad for me when I meet women who don't feel that awe I and know. wonder yeah. about their bodies yeah. and the power of their bodies. I know. I used to really sit with that too, but now I still think we all pick um, – We all our soul will guide us to where we need to have our revelations from. And for some of us, that's going to be through the experience of embodiment and birth. And for some of us, it won't be. Mm -hmm. So I still think our pain and suffering and, um, you know, will occur in an equal measure, but it'll just be in a different form of life. And that's okay. That's true. It's a good way of looking at it. It's a really good way of looking at it. I think it's something that I haven't looked at. And sometimes my girlfriends will say to me, you know, things are really good for you right now. And I said, well, they were really bad for me. Teens and twenties, so yeah. so I'm just gonna hold on to this good, part. Part. yeah, <laughs> this good part for yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I think that's bit. okay. Yeah, <laughs> I would too. God, if I'd had your journey, I'd just be enraptured just to see the sun every day. I think. Same. I am. I really am. So now the work that you're doing, and I've watched some of your. So obviously, I'm going to have all the links to your Facebook and social media and website and things in the show notes for anyone wanting to go along and check, and check it out. But I love what I've been loving watching when I've got the chance. Obviously my kids are here all the time, so I'm not getting the chance as often as I'd like, but your live videos and hearing more about the work that you do. And as I mentioned in the beginning, you know, women 
I'm sorry if you're a guy listening. Alan, if you're listening, I apologize. <laughs> but it's useful. Learning about this, like doing the work with women because you just – it's such an important – body of work and when you go to women's circles or you go to workshops that are focused on women's health or women's well-being and those things and the women put their hands up and I went to this sex workshop at Seven Sisters a few years ago and I remember they divided the women up to into what they what sex felt like to them and they divided it up based on joy fear sadness and anger, I think. And I was standing over in joy with maybe 10 women and pretty much everyone else was in fear and grief. And that was a room of maybe, maybe 200 women, more. And I was standing there feeling kind of guilty that I felt joy about sex. But it was that was a moment in my life where I was like, wow, I'm the exception that I have a healthy relationship. Well, I still have work to do, but I mean, I have, I think joy when I think sex. And these women in this room think fear and sadness. And not that sex is the be-all and end-all of everything, but it's a massive, massive part of who we are. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So that's why I'm excited to have you here because I think your yeah. pleasure is such an yeah. important thing. When I ask women if they masturbate, they're not masturbating, they're not having sex, they're not doing anything sexual with their partners, they're not doing oral sex, they're not doing – they're barely kissing their husbands and partners after, you know, a few years together. Yeah. Especially after kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know that you want me just to give you an easy answer here, but the truth I don't is each one of to. those. <laughs> okay. I was going to say the truth is each one of those things is a Pandora's box. Yeah. Why I called myself the pleasure nutritionist or why I believe that was downloaded to me in that moment is because when I looked across the scope of my work with women over what had been probably up to that point, maybe, um, I don't know, 13, 14 years, what I saw consistently was a significant lack of pleasure in their life that, and look, I've been in the health industry for long enough that I know all of the greats that everyone subscribes to. You just want to be really careful that the eating disorder doesn't change into something that looks healthy, but really is still a feeling of a void or is still a punishment of self. That the choice that you're making is for vitality and body connection rather than body disassociation or punishment or a way to um, emotionally numb out, which can still happen when we're following rigid regimes or food still has the power of good and bad and right and wrong. I would really love to see that food also just become something that's also energetic. Yes, it's beautiful to have the empowerment of nutrition. It is a massive disservice that we do our children that we're not taught it in school. It is a magnificent ability to know what creates on a biochemical level healthful um, vitality. But you are, at the end of the day, an energetic being. What are our tissues and cells made up of? Atoms. What are atoms made up of? Energy. So 
your food is also energy. And if you don't feed your body energy, if you don't consider that water has memory, and don't we all love that from Frozen 2 and that sits upon, you know, Dr. Emoto's work of, you know, water literally having memory and a crystalline structure, we are made of water. We are made of energy. And yet, we don't consider that in our health experiences because ultimately we can instantaneously change our biochemistry, our hormone profile. The display of our physical body is simply a construction of matter that's based on something that's a vibrational etheric further out. So if we're not feeding ourselves the components of life that actually support life, then what is the point of a vitamin A, C, D and E? Like I just go, I never saw that as as equating health. I watched a father who was eaten from the inside out and yet was in every way exactly as I was trained as a naturopath. So, you know, I just really started to see that if women could add in a dash of pleasure, a sprinkle of pleasure on the thing that they were doing, that they add in before they take away. If the any experience they're wanting to have, what would it be to add in pleasure? But we so are trained and conditioned that, um, you know, it's good when we're in pain or suffering and it's clearly not working if it feels good. We're trained out of associating good feelings with a healthful result you know, beauty is pain, right? Like how many of us subscribe to if we're punished, the harder we work, the better the rewards at the other end. It's a masculine teaching that is not a feminine teaching. And yet all of us are feminine. All of us have a spectrum of feminine, but particularly if you are born a core feminine being, then that is something that's incredibly um, important information for you to know to live a life where you actually feel feel fulfilled and met and seen and heard and opened and ecstatic and able to share the truth of your heart so that your heart can actually be penetrated and met and felt and received. But what happens is we don't do any of that and we create this separation and then we draw these lines. Women cut these lines energetically and physically across their bodies, across the neck, and they exist solely as a head because that's what's been celebrated. Purpose, rational thinking, forward movement, goal setting, list making. You know, if I exist in my head, if I just think everything enough, it's going to be okay. And anything that happens from the neck down, I have taught and continued to suppress, to swallow down, to clench up to the point where perhaps I can't even feel. So if I said to you, what do you need right now? A lot of women will go, I don't even know. Because this voice of our body has been so silenced and all of the mechanisms designed to have it flow and open, which we need to experience all of the things that you're talking about, um, you know, so beautifully, is is gone. It's, it's not that it's gone, but it's been shut off, shut down. I always think it's covered with debris and heavy woolen blankets and we can't hear, know, feel our bodies. And then all of a sudden we go, now be sexual when we've spent an entire life telling our body what it's feeling is wrong, that what it's feeling is not a truth, that the truth is better told and trusted by those outside of us, that it, the truth exists in our mind. You know, like we have so many layered, conditioned 
um, cluttered spaces within us that um, prevent women from being able to access. So I think you've got to be able to, like any of our, you know, pick the spot in your house or the cupboard where you're like, it's horrendous, I can't even go near it because it's so messy and full of shit and old stuff and it's going to take me too long. You have to declutter and pull it all out and get rid of the shit that you that you just don't need anymore, that isn't you anymore, before you can put it back into something that feels beautiful for you. It's the same with our bodies. Mm. So... I'm loving everything that you're saying. With the work that I do now, um, with women as a health as a health coach, one of the things I always talk about is adding in, and I don't want them to take everything away and just hate their lives and binge eat on crazy stuff because they. I say, you know, go 100% vegan and get out this and get rid of that and don't eat anything, any junk food, and they're just. I find that for many people, it can be hard. So a start with what you're saying is, what can you add in? this week that lights your soul on fire and makes you happy. Let's start there and then add in some other awesome foods, but let's start by adding in awesome stuff rather than taking it away because there's so much missing. But I find, like you said, that so many women when I say, like, what can you do this week that would light your soul on fire, that would make you feel so happy that you'll be thinking about and excited about, you know, for nights on end before it comes to that time when you've locked in that space for yourself away from your kids or with your kids, but something that really ignites you. And I, I was so shocked to find so many women. To, and, I, and I shouldn't be because in my 20s I would have been exactly the same because I was just in this sick body. I was, I was broke. I was struggling. I was trying to study and work and it was super hard for me. So... I'm sure I would have had the same answer then, but when I still when I hear it and I say, "What would you, what would light you up?" and they are stuck, like getting three things or four things for these women for three things for a month, like just to pick three things. I'm like, it could be a bath, it could be give offering any suggestions of things that might be the thing, and and they're silent. They just have no idea what would light their hearts up. So what do you do? What do you do when women sit in front of you and say, I can't think of anything? And there's no shame if you're listening and you're like, I am that person. There's no shame. As I said, I was definitely there too. And I can't pinpoint the moment that changed for me now because it seems like I didn't log that memory of like now's the time when I can get excited by life again. But it did happen. (laughs) But so for you when you're... With with clients, like, how do you support them to re to refine things below the head? Because I was definitely, as I said, with Iggy's birth, I was all in the head. I wasn't in my body, and what you said just was so resonant to me. Because I was like, oh my gosh, that was me. I was just so. I've gone to all the classes. I've read all the books. I've done all the things. I'm I'm ready for this baby. And then when I, the labor started, I was like, oh my god, I'm dying. I'm not ready for this baby. <laughs> Yeah. Only death can come from this pain. Yeah. I so get it. But yeah, for you and, for, and now thankfully that next birth was 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 awesome, but what what do you suggest? But what made that awesome was the work you did in between. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't just happen. There's no such thing as this like good birth fairy that goes, Bonk, you've got one, aren't you lucky? No, I had to work really hard. No, you had to work for it. Lots of art therapy, lots of all different kinds of things to help that birth be amazing. Yeah, 
what you would have done is worked out how to drop from your head and recreate the lines down to your body. It's embodiment work. That's what I do now. I teach women how to make that transition from the mind and the masculine space that's become so um, so trustable for them into what is it like to retrust and re-know and reform um, a relationship with your feminine, to know and really understand what the feminine is versus what the masculine is, to understand how the two experiences uh, make a whole universe, but that you need to have an equal and opposite way to dip into the feminine in order to be able to live a life where you are feeling the energetic flow as opposed to I've run out and burnt out all my resources and now I'm exhausted. That's the masculine because it doesn't have an ability to plug into the universal energy that the feminine does. So I realize I got a bit loopy there, but what my point (laughs) is that I I can do that. So just make sure you wind me back. So my point is it it always has to come back to embodiment. So the work that, and I I think embodiment is a word that's bantered around a lot now. I think that it can become confusing and everyone will have a different take on what that means. For me, at the end of the day, embodiment means to do something with consciousness that has the experience for you of eliciting energy from your body. So whatever it is that you do it and you experience a release of energy, there's more energy than there was before. So now really what I do is I'm an energetic practitioner. I don't do nutrition at all because I know when women are able to have a direct communication with their body, to know and trust the feelings and sensations and movements and when they can open up their energy, all of this other stuff that used to be um, painful stops being painful, that they can make choices about what they're going to eat based on what their body deeply needs as opposed to a desire to numb or to fill a void that can never be filled because you're not energetically or emotionally putting yourself through the experience of opening up why that void is there to begin with. So I guess for me, the work is always um, to come back into the feminine and come back into the body. And really at the end of the day, it's pretty easy to come back into the feminine. I think again, it's a really great word that everyone's bantering around at the moment and you can get really lost in it. But at the end of the day, masculine is consciousness and feminine is feeling is heart, is love. So all you have to do is feel. And if you feel something, you're in your feminine. So at the end of the day, it's pretty easy, but we have so much story on what we're allowed to feel or not allowed to feel, how much of it we're allowed to feel, that just having an experience that that offers you it and it just come back into here for a moment, let's just find this place, let's set up experiences, embodiment experiences where you literally just feel. What is it that you can feel that you've never felt before? I honestly, at the end of the day, think it's just that. And we learn to retrust this part of us that we've learned to mistrust. This is really interesting. And I think many people will have experience with shutting out that feeling space. And I remember when my brother had, he was dying, like really close to death. And I I was in love with this man who wasn't in love with me and I had a shitty share house with the hate of my housemates and, you know, I was trying to study and I had this 
anyway, it's just, you know, lots of things happening all at once. And I had multiple, and I'd just been diagnosed with MS. And so I had like really significant lots of things. And I went to the school counsellor and I said, and I'm sorry if you've heard me say this story before somewhere in the thing, but I remember she mapped out on the whiteboard things I had to be that was stressing me and causing me anxiety. And she's like, this love that I love that doesn't love me back because of my multiple sclerosis and these housemates and my brother dying and my financial situation because I was a student and, you know, like it's always a struggle with money when you're a student. And then my MS. And she said, every single one of those things is massive and you have all of them. You need to cry. And I was taking antidepressants, I think. I don't know what I was doing at the time. And I said, I can't. I've got essays and shit to do. And Brett, you know, Brett's dying and I haven't got time to cry. And if I go and cry, I, if I open the lid to the box of my grief, I'll never get out of that grief. And I was so I ran, I closed the box and hammered it shut <laughs> for a long time, probably for another f- five years. Honestly, I, yeah, I think that's the story for most women. So then we come to being at midlife, and midlife is super funny. Often, most of the women I work with, there's something around forty. Not always, but often, there's something extraordinary that I think happens to a woman at forty. And I do think that it's a feminine rite of passage. And we get to this point of midlife. Midlife crisis is a real thing for a reason. It's psychologically set up to be. It's this midpoint that goes, all right. You haven't been living in total integrity and alignment. So this is the moment where I'm going to make it so obviously painful to you that I want you to recognize what am I letting go of and what am I carrying forwards as I embark on this next half of my life, which energetically is the most potent I will ever be. Like I just think there's something so profoundly beautiful about that. It's why marriages end at something around 40, right? Because we get to this point where we're so dull and numbed out because of all the things you've just said that if we don't have a level of consciousness around why this thing appears to be dysfunctional, I look at it as completely functional. It's just trying to point you like the big red arrow here, this part, pay attention here, I think if we had a completely different lens on relationship difficulty being set up and orchestrated as on the way to our greatest fulfillment and growth, I think we would live a life that's completely different. Mm, I definitely found that at 40. Getting to 40, I mentioned getting to, that I was turning 40 for about four months in this podcast and then I turned 40 and I talked about it a fair bit because it just felt so profound in so many ways, the things I wanted to let go of and the things like now I'll do things and I'll literally just think, I'm fucking 40. I can, I can do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> like I, things I'll wear now that I just was like, I who care, who am I not wearing this for? Some random person that think, think I'm a odd bod or a weirdo. I'm just going to wear this ridiculous flower crown, you know, down the street. <laughs> Because why not? I'm going to be dead eventually. Let me just wear a flower crown because it makes me feel ridiculous in a way that makes my heart shine. I think, what would my child, inner child, Corinne, think? It's like my kids think, what are you doing? And I love that their face lights up and I love that they 
think my choices of clothing or whatever is silly or I just think it's fun and now I just feel more inclined to choose fun over fitting in and towing the company line of how I should behave. So it's just been fun and now I'm just like, well, I'm going to do whatever I want in a not in a not in a harmful way, but just in a if this feels fun to me, it doesn't hurt anybody else, then I'm doing it. Yeah, but, you know, you had a pretty extraordinary experience, didn't you? I mean, you had probably one of the most profound life awakenings, which we do when we face death, and you had it relatively young. That completely and totally and utterly changes the revelations of the rest of your life. Many women have had no experience like that, no experience like this a significant death of a parent that you've gone through, a significant facing death for yourself. Like there's a reason heart attacks blow people open and near death experiences and remind people of, you know, why they're living. Like there's there's still a level of um, you know, when the heart closes or when the body closes, the soul opens, mm-hmm. you know. Julie, there are so many thousand things because now, you know, there's so, like, obviously we're not going to talk about this in this episode because we could be here for 500 days. But when you think about our education system, when you think about our political system, when you think about the cap- capitalism and even, even the way we're responding to coronavirus and there's so many things where we're, the pendulum has swung so far into the masculine for so long and, and we can see the... The, the the divisiveness and that the polarities in our in our governments and in our school system and our education where science is valued but arts and creativity aren't valued and in our universities and in our careers and in our jobs and the jobs that are paid for women are paid less and the jobs that are valued that are all thinking head things are are higher paid and all those things and it's just when you look around and my husband's always talking about you know if only the two could could see their similarities and that they it's not that women should just be the only ultimate thing and that women's thing should be the held up on a pedestal and men should be diminished but if they both just came together and said you know I really need you and you really need me how can we be in union together because they're both they're both part of what makes up a beautiful whole and so I love, I love hearing what you're saying. I just wish that we could, well, I, the thing is that your work touches people and the ripples from your work, you know, you never know how far the ripples of people who have, women who have worked with you are, are extending. So it's amazing. But yeah, more work like this needs to happen, I think, so that we can actually unify that masculine and feminine within ourselves as well. But in, within the, the global community it would be amazing. It has to be unified within self in order for it to be the one is the whole, right? Yeah. And I look, I, I share that vision with you too. Like I really, that would delight my heart to see how significantly different we are and yet how full of love those differences offer a fuller experience for its opposite. You know, like, I mean, that's so incredibly delicious. I absolutely I think that we as privileged white women stand on the shoulders of the most profound women who have come before us and paved the way. We stand on the shoulders of giants. We absolutely do. And I'm enormously grateful for the loss of life and limb and, you know, 
what could be what could be more than that anyway life and limb and children and power and all of the struggles that women have gone through to make that pendulum swing but i worry that sometimes it's gone so far that now as a counter swing we're diminishing men in the process that, and that breaks my heart that as much breaks my heart I, I... You're the, probably one of the first women that I've been able to have that conversation with. Rose is one of the high rows as a few. But when you're talking about women's empowerment, it does it shouldn't come at the cost of disempowering men. Yeah. Well, I think you've missed the boat because it's it's the counter, it's the same process happening again. And I think we assume that the patriarchy exists solely in men, which it doesn't. Women absolutely still toe alone a line of um the patriarchy, we still believe that our... Our safety. Yeah, yeah, that our feminine body diminishes us, that our emotions are weaker. We still toe a line that rejects the feminine, that rejects and dishonours the goddess, and I would love to see how we can be feminist but also feminine and find the power that's there and love men in the process and really kind of heal relationships along the way. I think it could be something way more ecstatic and life-changing than what it is. And at the end of the day, it's a relationship paradigm in which you get to feel more extraordinary. Like, I can't imagine, like, what's the point in a mediocre life? I'm not here for that. You know, you and I are not here for that. We have both in our own unique ways experienced how precious life is and how fragile. And probably I'm assuming you, like me, have this absolute touch point where there's part of me that always feels like I have a foot in death because I'm so aware of how close my death is and could be in any moment and that knowing that And seeing that up close has allowed me the experience to then equally say, well, I cannot in this moment live anything less than fully. If I haven't left my heart on the dance floor at the end of a day, what the fuck was the point? Exactly. And it's so hard. It's not hard. It's beautiful. But, I mean, it's very difficult because I wish that I could wring out that lived experience of, of having that foot in death to give to people who I can see aren't, aren't here, aren't, aren't in this moment, aren't, aren't celebrating the breath, the touch, the wind, the, 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 expe- the moment that they're in because they're, you know, they're off thinking about something, something else from somewhere else or, or in the future or somewhere else. And, and it's hard because you want it because I can't live You know, for me, I'm always thinking about with my son and he's whinging. I said to my husband, who hasn't experienced what I've experienced in my life with the death of my brother and with my own mortality given to me, and I'll say, look, he is eight years old and and he's amazing and he could literally just be gone from us, like gone. And this thing that he's doing that's so annoying, or your friend or your mom or your person, and no, it can seem like everything in that moment that like you're so frustrated, but there, that's such a fleeting thing compared to your love for those people and the connection that you can have with them. And it's, you don't realize until you've lost someone that every single relationship is so precious and beautiful and that the things that you think were important. I remember my brother, when he was just, I'm sure your dad probably had a similar, when they're just getting so close to death, 
and all the things that used to bother them, like the things that would annoy them or you can see that they're gone, you know, they're just here right with you. And the same in birth when you're at the, woman, the woman's in labour and every, there's no, she's not thinking about the washing pile, she's not thinking about school pickup and the lunch boxes and all of the things. And like my brother, you know, he used to have these things that would bother him and all of it was gone. He was just there in that moment in that hospital bed with us from his heart to my heart. You know, you'd see in his eyes, he was hundred percent, like he was suffering. Obviously he was suffering and he was in pain, but he was there. And I wish that people could be there in that moment more fully in life and I wish I could just magically make that happen (laughs) and to myself sometimes too of course for myself I'm not I'm not perfect obviously but I I do feel that's a such a blessing to me in their my brother's suffering and in my own suffering that I have that I really value the people that I really value and the moments the simple simple moments I really value them yeah you get it it's you know um you know, what's that Buddha quote, you know, when you're sitting there suffering and you look up and Buddha's, you know, big and round and smiling with this big, enormous, beaming smile. And you go, Buddha, why are you smiling? And Buddha's like, why aren't you? You know, like it's so that moment that you're talking about, like it is, that is a moment of grace, I think, that you experienced that so young and so powerfully and that you're able to consciously recall that and change the experience of life for your children and you. I think that's people spend years in monasteries waiting for that moment of grace. I don't wish it on anyone, but it was useful to to me in this journey. It's a revelation out of deep pain. Mm-hmm. Mm. I know all the good ones are Dr. Shivali. I'm sure that you've mm-hmm. listened to her work, but her talking about your your children and that. Preventing them from suffering is actually just the, just, it's not it's suffering, it's suffering yeah. that they need yeah. to suffer. And, and for my kids, I hate when they suffer, like it's so hard, but I know for me, the worst suffering in my life was the biggest, biggest gift to me. And so I have to just be able to be cool with my kids when they when they suffer. Yeah, I think often the work we do as parents is more is equally as important what we don't do as what we do do. Mm, absolutely. So, Julie, where can people follow you, find you, work with you, and what kind of work are you offering for people right now? Yeah, so I have two businesses. So Conscious Parenting and um, a level of conscious relationship happens through Nourishing the Mother. So Nourishing the Mother is a podcast and then has an online membership format for um, mums in particular looking for a support network of highly conscious women looking to evolve through the experience of the little Buddhas that we live with. And then I have me as a sole practitioner, so Julie Tenner, the Pleasure Nutritionist, on Instagram and Facebook, thepleasurenutritionist.com is my website. The only thing I will say about that, though, is that my Facebook handle is different because Facebook is so patriarchal, it doesn't let you use the word pleasure. Are you kidding? No, I'm not. So I'm Julie Tenner, um, Women's Space on Facebook. It's the only difference there, which I always get 
kind of a little kick out of actually every time I think about it. So uh, the work that I offer is largely, yeah, it's largely online courses. So I do Queen School, which is learning how to reclaim your feminine and allow him to rise in his masculine at the same time. Um, I have coaching options and I do different courses that sort of float in and out. So you can certainly find me um, in any of the social places. Awesome. I'm very intrigued by all of that. And I haven't listened to your podcast, but now tomorrow's run, I'm going to be, I always feel at, as an aside, but as I run, and I know that running's quite a masculine thing to do, but for me, because I couldn't barely walk, like once I learned oh, to it run, it's ecstatic yeah. for me. Like I just yeah. still feel the yeah. wind and the smell and the sights and the houses and the gardens, and I can go yeah, a long that's way. Feminine. Well, I love it so much, but I always think oh, I probably should just be doing yoga or tigress yoga, and that should be my thing. But I just. I just love running and feeling the cold, fresh, smelling all of it. I love the whole thing. But, yeah, I'll be listening to your podcast because I think it's so valuable on my run tomorrow. So I'm very excited. So that's that's Nourishing the Mother, which I think everyone needs to listen to. If you're a husband, if you're a father, if you're a boyfriend, it's such a a thing that we need to do because everyone knows a woman who just lays down in front of her children and says, I'm no longer me anymore. I'm just a, I'm, I'm just your servant lady. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> heartbreaking. Yeah. So that yeah. is a, such, such an incredibly valuable space that you're creating for people and information, Thank a resource you. for mums out there to say, because if our cup's empty, how can we be there for our babies? How can no, we can't. model anything joyful for them if we can't be there for them? So Thank you. And thank you for all of Thank it. you so much, Corinne. This was really delightful and delicious as a conversation. I actually just felt like magic hearing your story. And I'm so grateful that that you listened to your beautiful woman friend because that's always how we work as women and that you invited me on here. I'm really super, super grateful. It was really gorgeous. So I'm, thank you also so much. Thank you. Your story is going, it's going to stay with me. It's one of those stories that's really touching and I'm so grateful that you shared it with me and everyone listening and I hope that we can now I always bring everyone who comes on my show into my family so hi (laughs) welcome I'm glad thanks (laughs) I'll take the virtual hug thanks (laughs) see you later thank you so everyone's gonna I'm putting it in the show notes all the links to your social media and your website and so head over there if you've missed it, if you were on your run like me and you thought, oh, gosh, I want to look at that, but I'm halfway around the lap. It'll be in the show notes for everyone to find you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a beautiful day, Corinne. I will. You too. Thank you so much, Julie, for coming on the show. I absolutely loved chatting with you. And I, I really want to mention, like I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast you know, we're pretty, we're pretty straight edge vegans, <laughs> which, which I love, but I also love this. Like I really love the concept of, I think when we become so rigid, it can be hard for a lot of people because human life is very messy and flawed and 
all these different things. So, I mean, not that I'm saying I'm still always going to talk about whole food plant-based eating as a way of healing for me and many, many, many people. But there is also trauma and so many other facets that impact on our health and that that big 20%. And that 20% might mean that, you know, giving yourself some moments to just be joyful and silly and messy and forgiving yourself for all of it along the way, I highly recommend you all, if you haven't already, go and follow Julie at Julie Tenner, The Pleasure Nutritionist, and at The Pleasure Nutritionist over on Facebook. And also check out Nourishing the Mother, the podcast. Listen to it anywhere you listen to podcasts. I also recommend you head to her website, The Pleasure Nutritionist, and also to the nourishingthemothercourse.com. And if you want to do Queen School, I think that that could be amazing too. You just find it over at Julie's website, thepleasurenutritionist.com to join Queen School because that sounds really, really fantastic as well. Otherwise, thank you all for listening. A bit out of it today because I had an incident with my wheelbarrow on the weekend and the handle hit me in the ribcage. So I'm a bit on painkillers because I damaged my cartilage. So forgive me if my <laughs> My intro and outro were a little bit not 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 the best, but um, I hope you're all having a lovely day wherever you're listening to this. And again, thank you, Julie, so much for coming on the show and sharing your incredible work. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bags are packed. Are you ready to go? This time tomorrow will be on the road.